if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed, and it is now nine minutes after 10 o'clock, hour number two underway on this Friday edition of The Authority. It is the 26th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Thank you so very much for being with us. Yesterday on this program, we spent a great deal of time breaking down what it means for the Ohio General Assembly, Republican-led, to finally stand up to a Republican governor. A Republican governor who had governed like a liberal Democrat, literally, since he took office, but most importantly, for the last calendar year during the pandemic and the um, uh, the COVID nineteen crisis. Yesterday, after discuss or actually, you know, uh, reporting on the fact that SB twenty two was the veto was overridden, I had on Representative Nino Vitale, who's been one of the fiercest critics of Governor Mike DeWine and his handling of this pandemic. He has been a champion for liberty. Representative Vitale, no question about it. He has been a champion for liberty. He wanted businesses open, schools open, churches open, an end to the mask mandate, and all of the things that many of us felt as way. Yet, when it came down to it, yesterday after Mike DeWine vetoed the um, legislation which would have restri- restricted, not perfectly stripped, but restricted some of his unilateral authority, Nino Vitale was not there to vote on it. He was not there to vote to override Mike DeWine's veto and hand him a stinging defeat and a and a victory for liberty. And I asked him about it. All right, so you so you, did, lot, Jerry, so you you're on the record for the original no vote. You didn't want to go on the record with the no vote of the override. Is that accurate? I, I, I there's no point. Well, sure, there's a point. Everybody else thought there was a point. They were there to vote. So I just wanted to ask your opinion on that. Why weren't you there? But and that, that's fine. I don't want to. I don't want to die on that hill. Here's what I do want to ask you, though. Do you believe that Mike Dewine should be reelected, Representative Vitale? All right. Sorry about that. His response. Absolutely not. Okay. The reason I asked that should be obvious. If we had not, meaning we the people through you, our elected representatives, 
um, defeated him on this with this override. It is a massive shot in the arm to his reelection chances. Mike DeWine gets a victory here because the narrative is in the media that the people agree with Mike DeWine. The people's representatives wouldn't even override his veto. He knows best how to deal with uh, pandemics and health crisis, crises, et cetera, et cetera. He needed to be defeated here. And if you want him to be gone as a, uh, you know, as an incumbent candidate, if you want to stop his reelection, you have to defeat this guy on things like you're this. talking politics and I'm talking policy. No, I'm the, not interested the, in representative, politics. That, in a no, bill. Representative Vitelli, with all due respect, how are they not linked? You just said politically you do not want him to be reelected. The way you do that is through stopping his bad policies. How do you not join? Because us? I I swore an oath to uphold the Ohio Constitution, which this bill does not do. It's against the Ohio Constitution, in my opinion, and it also doesn't do anything. I felt very bad yesterday for Representative Vitale. I thought he came off looking like part of the problem, not part of the solution. And I called my friend Rob Walgate from the Ohio Roundtable, who has been studying SB 22 and all of the other previously vetoed pieces of legislation to limit Mike DeWine and the Department of Health's power. I asked him to come on and analyze, and lo and behold, here he is. Rob Walgate from the Ohio Roundtable, thank you so much, my friend. How are you? I'm well, Bob. How are you? And I uh, let me say, um, you know, always enjoy being on the show with you. But one thing's for certain is you hold people to the fire, whether you agree with them or disagree with them. I thought you did an amazing job yesterday. And if you ever think I'm wrong on an issue or we disagree, I know you will treat me the same and do the same with me. But that is to the benefit of your listeners and educating them. So well done. That's very kind of you. You know, like I said, I don't like doing interviews like that um, because I like him, and I have agreed with him on his criticism of DeWine the entire time. But, Rob, you heard it, and you have watched it, and you have studied it. Tell me your thoughts on the constitutionality of SB 22. He says he couldn't vote for it or even to vote to override the veto of it because it, he felt it violated the Ohio Constitution. You have some expertise in that area. What do you say? Well, he said that it's not constitutional to use a current current resolution to rescind orders or rules. The Ohio Constitution says that the Ohio General Assembly shall enact no law except by bill. But the concurrent resolutions that you're talking about aren't enacting law. They're rescinding orders. So it's not doing what he says it's doing, in my opinion. You're not creating law. You're rescinding orders. Those are apples and oranges. You're not trying to create law. I think, though... The biggest thing to come out of this bill that no one's talking about, and I was a little disappointed to not hear Representative Vitale talk about because I think it's a huge deal. And, again, I know you talk about um, don't let perfect get in the way of good, but here's a great piece in this bill is it defines isolation and quarantine. And currently under Ohio law, the director of the Department of Health has ultimate authority of isolation and quarantine when it comes to people. Well, this bill helps define isolation and quarantine, and here's how it defines it. Isolation means the separation of one or more individuals who have been medically diagnosed with a communicable or contagious disease from other individuals who have not been medically diagnosed with the disease. Quarantine means the separation or restriction of movement of one or more individuals who have come into direct contact with someone who has been medically diagnosed with a communicable or contagious disease. Now, I know it's ultimately boring to read legislation on the radio. I apologize for that. But it's important to notice this is now defined so 
they cannot, when I say they, I'm referring to the director of the Department of Health under the orders of the governor who tells them what to do. Mm -hmm. They can't isolate and quarantine millions and millions of healthy Ohioans for no reason. That's a win. That's a victory. They can't tell us you can't leave your home because we said so. You have to be medically diagnosed or come in contact with someone for them to be able to do that. I was a little disappointed Representative Vitale does not see the strength in that. Well, I completely agree. That was the point that I was trying to make when I brought up, look, this is not a perfect bill, but it is a good bill. It is a step in the right direction that can be used to build on and then add other pieces of legislation, kind of an ancillary to that. Now, what he wants... And, you know, if you read his his uh, Facebook page, he is very verbose. He likes to explain everything to the last minute detail, and I actually like that about him. But he said, this bill doesn't eliminate the mask mandate immediately. This bill doesn't free everything immediately. It doesn't do this, 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 this. Any bill like that that would have stripped every single thing that has been done in the face of this pandemic, all of the policies, whether they're good or bad by Mike DeWine, it just wouldn't have passed. And and we have to be real about that. Now, we can say that's the ORP's fault, and I think we can to a degree. I think the Ohio Republican Party should have done a lot more to kind of whip up votes, if you will, and support some of the other and override of some of the other vetoes of the other legislation we've had. I do think the Republican Party has been weak um, in responding to Mike DeWine in this pandemic. But nonetheless... Any bill like Nino Vitale was talking about was never going to pass. We had to put something out there that would be a win, as you just described it, but you know, but that would definitely get through the legislature. Yes, and that's what was done. In the Republican Party, it took over 365 days, but finally stood up and was willing to take a stand and make that happen. So I applaud them for that. There's still work to be done. No one's saying there isn't. And Mike DeWine, they need to... Here's what... I predict could end up happening because we know it's 90 days. The bill goes into law. So what do we have? 88, 87 days left and the bill becomes law. And some people will say, well, it won't even matter for this crisis or this pandemic. Well, it will in the future, number one, but number two, Mike DeWine maybe on June 1st is going to dismiss everything and, and kind of try and claim victory for this and say, you know what? The general assembly didn't even need to do that because I was going to let everything up on June 1 anyway, and here I'm here to do it. So Mike DeWine still may try and claim victory on this before it's all said and done to make it look like it was a foolish decision to override his veto on SB 22. But I think it was very smart for the legislature to do it. And we don't envision a system of government where one person has ultimate authority or one person has that control. And it's amazing to me, Bob, (laughs) that the Democrats go along with this because they agree with what the director of the Department of Health has done and Mike DeWine has done. If they wouldn't agree, they would be screaming. And that's my point is, even if I agreed, and I'm sure you feel the same way, I don't want to speak for you, but even if you would agree with everything the director of the Department of Health has done, I still wouldn't be for the policy of allowing one person to make that decision. We need checks and balances. And same with Mike DeWine and John. Mike DeWine and John Hughes said, if a Democrat was in charge in making these decisions, they would be turning over tables and screaming at the top of their lungs. We shouldn't have one person making these decisions. But when they're the one person, they feel they're smarter than the rest of us. They don't mind having the power. It's when someone else has the power, it's a problem. And I don't agree with that. I don't want the policy to be in play where one person has a say over everyone. That's not the system of government we have in this country. 
Yeah, I agree with every word you just said, except for the part where you said if a Democrat had been making these decisions, because, Rob, I think we have. Uh, It just bottom line. I mean, I I look at Mike DeWine and I ask myself, how would a Democrat govern any differently in this pandemic than he has? And the answer is he wouldn't. And by the way, the fact that Mike DeWine conveniently got the false positive when President Trump was coming to town last fall before the election and couldn't greet the president. (laughs) Then two days later, it was a a false positive. I'm good. I can go back out now. Uh, But he was sure there front and center to greet Joe Biden in uh, in Columbus two days ago. Uh, I, I think it's very obvious where Mike DeWine's loyalties lie, and I think I know where his ideology is, and I hope all Ohio voters know this when it comes primary time uh, for the governor's uh, re-election. I've been very disappointed in Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Husted in the way that they've asked Ohioans to treat other Ohioans, whether it be gathering for church, whether it be wearing masks, whatever it is, and now with vaccinations, I feel they've been encouraging people to bully other people, to walk the walk that they want them to walk. And I don't agree with that at all. And I think you're going to see it more and more, especially when it comes to vaccinations, especially when it comes to people gathering. I feel that Mike DeWine has turned neighbors against neighbors throughout this entire ordeal. And that is sad to me. He's tried to take away the individual rights and liberties. And, and Bob, that's the reason. That's the reason the state of Ohio is still over. They haven't won a case in court yet when it comes to infringing on the constitutional rights of Ohio. They, they, they didn't win a case, and they're not going to win a case. They do these unconstitutional things to get a short-term fix for all of it, and they know in the long term they're not on the winning side. Well, you just described separation of power and the checks and balances. That's exactly right. The judiciary has said, no, you're wrong. Mike DeWine has said, too bad, I'm doing it anyway. He's ignoring the judicial branch, then uh, vetoing the legislative branch, essentially giving himself unilateral power, him and his health director, unilateral power. Uh, that's why it was so crucially important for one branch to step up and say, nope, not anymore. At least, you know, this was, again, not perfect, not a perfect bill. But no, this is not uh, going to be a unilateral thing anymore. We have a say in this. Even if it's a little cumbersome, got to come back and vote after 60 days of a, an order being given to try to stop it and all of these kinds of things, at least it gives us an opportunity to, to do so. Last thought, Rob. And, and, well, and, and yes, and if this was Ebola, the director of the Department of Health would still have the same power. None of that stripped away. But, Bob, if it truly was, and again, the virus is real, people are getting sick, I understand that. But if it was a pandemic where millions and millions of Ohioans were truly worried and concerned and need to be locked down and stayed home, would the state of Ohio have to spend millions and millions and millions on a marketing department to enforce that message? Wouldn't we take heed ourselves? Would there be a need to put all those messages out there? We would be listening ourselves and, and talking to our neighbors. We wouldn't need the government to tell us what to do. Very, very well said. Rob Walgate, a good friend from the Ohio Roundtable, the American Policy Roundtable, and, of course, the Public Square Broadcast Network. Rob, thank you, my friend. It's always good to talk to you. And, by the way, thank you for sitting in for me two weeks ago. We always appreciate your voice and uh, the wisdom you bring to the airwaves when I can't be here. Thank you for that, Rob. Well, thanks for allowing me. Always honored to talk to your listeners, Bob. Thanks for all you do. You got it, sir. Thank you, Rob. That's Rob Walgate, Ohio Roundtable. It's the, uh, 1022. We'll come back, get a couple of phone calls. Christina Hagen waiting in the wings at 1035. She's loaded up. She's got a lot of things she wants to hit on. That's coming up, too, right here on AM 1420, The Answer.
Okay, it's 1028, a short segment here before we get to uh, Christina Hagen uh, coming up after the bottom of the hour news. We'll go to Parma now. Jeff, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Jeff. Go right ahead. How you doing, Bob? Good, sir. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, I don't have any faith in the Supreme Court ruling the right way on H.R. Uh, 1 when they couldn't even take up the amount of evidence and uh, election fraud. I mean, we all, as, a, as Americans, we didn't vote for this garbage that's going on right now. And uh, we all know the rightful winner. That's pretty much all I have to say. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were going somewhere deeper with that, Jeff. But you know what? I'll respond to that, and thanks for the phone call. Um, I don't have a ton of faith in the Supreme Court, um, either to A, take up H.R. Uh, 1 if it does uh, pass the Senate, and you know, and it'll probably have to be the abolition of the filibuster in order to pass the Senate. Um, if it does become law and there are lawsuits filed to stop that, yeah, I don't know that the Supreme Court will take it up. And sadly, I don't know that even with what is supposed to be a quote-unquote six-to-three supermajority among conservatives on the court, that they would rule correctly if they did take it up. Because, you know, you can't trust some of them. And in particular, they, the Chief Justice, John Roberts. You know, Bush appointee, supposed to be an originalist, supposed to be, a, uh, you know, a textualist, rather than a, you know, a legislator on the on the bench. And, and he has sided with the Democrats and the liberal side more than he has the Republicans. I don't have an exact number on that, but, I mean, it seems like on the biggest issues, he cannot be counted on. So I do understand your fear uh, if we're leaning on the Supreme Court to stop this. It's got to be stopped before that. Um, Middleburg Heights, Conrad, you're on the air, Conrad. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Just wondered if you might want to get Matt Dolan on to talk about this SB 22, because when it came to the final vote, he voted against it. At first, I was upset with him, but when I read his reasons, there were some valid points there, particularly regarding setting us up for all kinds of lawsuits all over the place that will end up making judges decide what goes on rather than the governor or the uh, legislature. So I would say maybe you want to interview him on that, too. Yeah, um, you know, I've talked to Matt in the past. Thank you for the phone call. I've talked to Matt in the past, and uh, quite frankly, I don't find him much of an ally uh, in these issues, especially when it comes to uh, constitutional issues, when it comes to freedom in the state of Ohio. I don't think he's very much different than uh, Vitaly in that regard. He's not as loud and bombastic as Vitaly, Vitaly is, but anybody who voted not to override this veto voted to give Mike DeWine a win. And if you voted to give Mike DeWine a win, you are voting against the people of the state of Ohio who have suffered tremendously under Mike DeWine. I think Matt Dolan is strictly, uh, you know, Ohio Swamp. I think he is just like Matt Dolan, just like uh, uh, Jane Timken and the ORP leadership. I think they're all Ohio Swamp. They are just, uh, you know, rhino Republicans who don't care about the people. I, 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 I find myself very, very disenfranchised. And that's not the right word, not disenfranchised. I find myself very disillusioned, that's the right word, uh, with some of the Republican leadership, and Matt Dolan is among them. Would I talk to him and take him on in this, just like I did Nino Vitale? You bet I would. Uh, but I don't think it would be very positive for, for anybody. Um, thanks for the call, the suggestion. We'll, uh, we'll take that under advisement. 1031, News Now, Christina Hagen next, AM 1420, The Answer. Question for Bob? A comment? A complaint? Hit up the authority message line. Call 216-525-1806 and make your voice heard. That's 216-525-1806. Call the authority message line. 
Yeah, days like uh, today are great for the message line, to be honest with you, because we're very guest-heavy today. We had Congressman Bill Johnson on in the first hour. We talked to Rob Walgate earlier in this hour, and now we've got Christina Higgin coming up. So if you uh, you know, are trying to get through on the line and you just can't get through live, leave a message for us. Again, try to keep it 60 seconds or less so that it's consumable and digestible and able to be aired. If it's much longer than that, we probably can't help you out there. But leave your message on that line, and we would love to hear from you. All right. Uh, we certainly love hearing from Christina Hagen. That's why she has become our uh, Friday guest uh, to analyze and break down what's going on in the state of Ohio and nationally from the political perspective. She's a former state representative. Uh, Christina, good morning. How are you, sir? Or ma'am, excuse me. <laughs> How are you, Christina? Hey, I'm great. Great, thanks for having me. And uh, definitely Americans and conservatives are playing strong defense right now, but we had at least a victory here and there this week. Uh, But I'm excited to be with you. Yeah, well, you know, we do have some victories. We're going to talk about those. I, I want to go to the to the national stage first, though, and talk about guns because, and it's kind of amazing, the initial response to the shooting in Boulder, Colorado, of the mainstream media and their partners on the left of the political spectrum, which they're all in the same place, the initial response was, white guy, white guy, white guy, we're going to use race, just like they tried to use race uh, in the Atlanta shootings from a week before, uh, even though the individual who uh, you know, did the shooting in Atlanta uh, confessed that he has a sex addiction and was targeting people who, were, who, you know, who, who would feed into his sex addiction. It had nothing to do with race. But they went with the race card as the narrative in Boulder as well until they got the name of the guy and found out, uh-oh, he's Ahmed, he's a Syrian national. Uh, who has been in the United States. So now race isn't the issue anymore. At least we can't play it. So we got to go with the gun issue. Let's never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Isn't that what Rahm Emanuel and the Democrats said? So they're using this as a, the next uh, the next best opportunity to grab our guns. Christina Hagan, um, first of all, it's shameless. But second of all, let me just ask you, is there any concern that you have in this latest gun grab, particularly grab, particularly when the president says, I don't need Congress, I'll do it myself if I have to. Yeah, I think the concern is that they're barking up the wrong tree. And as you mentioned, you know, they're making this about race, they're making this about anything, they're exploiting a tragedy as they do, like clockwork. I mean, we watched Kamala Harris's niece, who was given a front center stage uh, during the president's early introduction and inauguration, and she said as a result of Atlanta and then jumping to conclusions on Boulder that violent white men are the greatest threat to this country. Um, Obviously, went radio silent, uh, like much of the press, as soon as they figured out that this was not a black or brown man, as they said it would would not or would be or would not be. Uh, And it's just it's sickening. We watch it now, and so we see the gun control is coming. And I just continue to ask myself, what part of shall not be infringed do they not understand? Murder is illegal in this country. A felon owning a gun is illegal in this country. Shooting people indiscriminately is illegal. Using firearms in a criminal activity is illegal. Criminals do not go through background checks when they're purchasing illegal guns. And for me, I'd like to ask the Biden uh, team and his administration to describe how criminals will suddenly follow new laws that they have put into place to further restrict and disarm law-abiding citizens and how this radical and completely unconstitutional policy will make us suddenly safe. And it's the reality is nothing that they do is about the realistic outcome. It's all about stripping Americans of their rights. It's all about disarming us. And there's even research 
that backs up our point of view on our protection of Second Amendment rights, and a lot of which was done during the Clinton administration that proves that these gun grabs do not create better statistical environments for less mass shootings or even criminal activities. So it is 100% based on feelings, 100% based on advancing radical policies. And yes, I'm concerned every day. I can't go into a local diner or a gas station without somebody stopping me and saying, what are we going to do? This is a serious concern, and they are creating major issues in this country. Well, you're 100% right. And I think so much of the fear is generated uh, from ignorance. Um, if you were to poll the vast majority of adult Americans and ask them what AR stood for, they're going to tell you assault rifle or they're going to tell you automatic rifle. Even if they don't, uh, the people seem to think that the word assault rifle actually means something. It, it, an assault weapon means something. First of all, I could have a little six-shooter, uh, and if I shoot you with it, I've assaulted you. It makes it an assault weapon. Uh, but they use that terminology to try to scare people and saying we have to limit the you know uh, a number of rounds that a, that a weapon can fire at a time, the number of... Uh, uh, you know uh, the size of the magazine, et cetera, et cetera. They they really kind of prey on the ignorance of people who are not part of the gun community into thinking that the assault rifle rifle ban is the way to go. If we have less assault rifles, we'll have less of these mass shootings. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they themselves do not even understand the basic terminology which they intend to limit. It's it's in no way about good policy and in every way about inciting fear and division and advancing their goals. No question about it. Let's talk about state issues now. I just had Rob Walgate on, and we were discussing at length SB 22. It passed. It was vetoed, and the veto was overridden. Finally, the Republicans in the, the in the um, uh, General Assembly got their acts together. Something they should have done over at least two or two of the previous three vetoes. Uh, I was very disappointed with leadership. I was very disappointed with the leadership of the ORP and not doing more to you know kind of uh, 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 get everybody on board to do this. So they finally did it this time around with the new General Assembly, and they veto over, overrode Mike DeWine's veto. What does SB 22 do for Ohioans, in your opinion? Yeah, so in your same stance, I'm of the uh, wish it would have happened sooner, better late than never. Uh, this is where we are. This is the reality. But now that it has uh, been enacted, uh, we're looking at 90 days. And I shared this on my social media, and everybody's saying, why 90 days? And that's simply because there was not an emergency clause. But we're looking at less than 90 days to some form of freedom from the government tyranny. Now, what I'll tell you is this uh, removes the governor's powers, uh, sole powers, and gives a check and balance and allows the legislature to have input. You've already discussed this in detail, so I'll talk a little bit more about the logistics of us actually getting our rights and freedoms back here in the state. And the reality is, I think it will be less than 90 days because the pent-up desire for Ohioans to be free is significant. Um, people are paying attention. People are voicing their concerns. And the governor, you know, made this this case for 50 out of every 100,000 um, cases uh, because of the high volume of vaccination in nursing homes. I actually was talking to a staffer that is a conservative staffer that happens to be in the administration. And they said, you know, we're really looking at early May because they're seeing such a high rate of vaccination in the nursing homes. And I'm thinking, so what you're telling me is this should have been, as we all knew, uh, guardrailed around the vulnerable and never applied to the full population the way that it has been. And that absolutely is the case. But because those numbers will fall dramatically and are falling dramatically and have been falling dramatically, I think we're really looking at more freedom. But then the shift, I think 
we're going to have a responsibility as conservatives. There have been some that have been standing up the entire time. There have a lot of us that have been polite and tried to be mindful as best as possible of our fellow brothers and sisters with vulnerabilities, but in recognition that we were hindering freedom in a very big way and allowing for the government to act unconstitutionally. The reality is states that have already opened up, um, the citizens are now having to deal with the liberal leftist corporate interest of retailers. And so I think I would just raise the flag for conservatives to realize we are going to have to use our voices and our pocketbooks in the same exact way that the extreme minority in the liberal left has dictated culture and policy in America. And we are going to have to be intentional about not going to places that force us to wear masks. And that will be a lot of corporate places like Target, et cetera. And we'll have to support businesses who support liberty. And we're going to finally be able to take this into our hands. And I think conservatives should continue to be who we are, uh, full of love, grace, and class, but also truth and sharing validity with these business owners. You know, don't shy away from writing a letter to the business owner or even perhaps the school that may be putting into effect something that harms your child and takes away your child's rights. But this is our turn as citizens to take up the gauntlet, in my opinion. Very well said. I would follow up with you on that. some of those uh, points you just made if we had the time, but I, in the interest of time, I want to move on. We'll go back now, kind of yo-yo between the federal uh, and the state issues, and go back to yesterday's Joe Biden press conference. First one in 64 days. I think we finally know now why, a lot of us knew ahead of time, but why he hasn't had one in 64 days. He is awful at this. He Even with prepared questions, even with uh, uh, pre-selected questioners from friendly news outlets, uh, complete block out of all conservative outlets, even with a friendly playing field like this, he still looked and sounded awful. What was your take? Yeah, so we all heard the cognitive decline piece during the campaign, and we thought, okay, well, that's... Uh, we're definitely seeing pieces and parts of that, but is it, you know, just politics as usual, a little nastier than necessary. But when any American watched that press conference yesterday and the press conference that we've all awaited for 65 days, the first real interaction at length with the president of the United States, we saw that the cognitive decline was absolutely real. I mean, the guy said he was in the Senate 120 years ago. He announced that the federal agencies to address his administration would now be addressing them as the Biden-Harris administration's completely unprecedented actions. Um, You and I messaged about it earlier, but the Jim Crow, Jim Eagle slip up, I mean, that in itself is, it's funny, but disturbing. And, you know, I mean, the guy is falling upstairs to Air Force One. And this is not anything I think we should be joking about. Um, are laughing about because this is a serious national security issue. The whole world is watching when this guy is boarding um, the flight. This whole world, the whole world is watching when he is presenting his policies and his agendas. And it's a national security threat. Now, if you're somebody like me who has to laugh so you don't cry, I would highly recommend checking out Dana Carvey's um, recent impression as a president. It is more friendly, but it will help you to at least have a light heart about a really Uh, dire circumstance. But in all fairness, I mean, he talked about things like infrastructure um, in the most elementary and disturbing way I've ever heard uh, our nation's infrastructure discussed. He said things like we need to raise every road three feet because of climate change uh, with no explanation and just broad application to every road, every street uh, in the entire country. And he said that this would be a solution 
to all of our friends and neighbors who were laid off because of his executive order against the Keystone Pipeline. And what's worse is the combination of him and the media. This is stuff that the president previous would have never gotten away with. So I think I look at it. The leader of the free world is absolutely not present in his own presentation. He's making blatantly false remarks. He's speaking to us at an elementary level because he doesn't even understand what is going on and the policies that his administration is advancing. And the media is completely compliant and will never hold him accountable. And we should all be equally disturbed. Christina Hagen, former Ohio State representative, laying it out for us. Terrific conversation, terrific analysis, as always. I thank you so much. hope you have a great weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Have a good one. Thank you so much, Christina. It's uh, Yeah, she's spot on. No other president would ever get away with some of the stuff that he gets away with and certainly got away with during the actual presser yesterday. Christina is spot on. Okay, it's 10.50. We'll get our final break here, and then we'll come back and have time for a few more phone calls. 216-901-0945, 888 Wrapping up a Friday here on The Authority. All right, 10.55, got time for just a few uh, phone calls before the uh, end of the broadcast, and Mike Gallagher takes over. Um, I was just reading, and I'm going to share this on my social media pages, which are Facebook for now, Gab and MeWe. Uh, Jack Windsor has written an article that just posted for the Ohio Star about the four Republican lawmakers who stood with Democrats in an attempt to uphold Governor DeWine's shutdown power. As mentioned, one of them is Nino Vitale, who I had on yesterday. Another is Andrea White. Another is uh, Stephanie Coons. And the other is Matt Dolan. We had a caller early on suggest that I get Matt Dolan on the air. I may do so. I may do so. I don't know. I just don't have a whole lot of use for uh, rhino Republicans who support Mike DeWine. And that's exactly what all four of them did in this regard. Okay, uh, Steve in Collinwood. Hey, Steve, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, the... Uh shooting up in uh, Arvada, Colorado. Yes, sir. It's uh, it's not being depicted. It's being depicted like as a, as a mental illness issue. But this was an ISIS-inspired uh, attack by, you know, and he'd been radicalized. And that's not being discussed at all. He targeted he targeted Jews in in that uh, attack because he drove 25 miles to go to that supermarket. And that supermarket is like the, the main one where people go to shop for Passover. So, and it's just, and because of the identity politics, it, they're getting a free pass. I have been waiting for more investigation to be done here before I actually talked about that. Because, like I said to, um, to Christina Hagan, and thank you for the phone call, Steve, uh, first they went with for his race. Then they realized he's not white, even though he is very light-skinned. He is of Arab descent. Obviously, he's Syrian. So they went from white, oh, that can't work. He's not white, he's Syrian. they got to go to the gun thing. They skipped right over the Muslim part. And the fact that perhaps this might have been, like you said, uh, radical Islamic-inspired. 
I just haven't seen enough evidence of that yet because nobody's talking about it. And you're right. Your original point is right. Nobody's talking about it. They should. And if this does turn out to be somehow, uh, you know, Islamic terror inspired, then it needs to be addressed as such. Bill in Cuyahoga Falls. Hi, Bill. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hi, Bob. I just uh, wanted to say I agree with most of your callers about the president not, not uh, you know, doing a, a job that should be done, you know, in the press. Right. Is there a possibility, and I probably, you, you won't see this from the White House press room, but uh, is there a possibility that they could say, the media has to say, listen, you called on X number of people, uh, Mr. President, let's take some of the ones that you did not speak to. Uh, make it more equitable, you know, when you're when they're before the uh, press conference. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and second, you know, they say that not since Woodrow Wilson's last year or so uh, did we have such a uh, president with. Well, Roosevelt had had a lot of you know health issues, but not since Woodrow Wilson. Uh, they say has had the mental problems that you know the uh, right, uh, right as you yeah, said the, the grandpa the, you know yeah yeah it, the uh, mental dementia. faculties issue no I'm with you my yeah, friend I appreciate faculty. the call Bill I got a jet here but listen I love your point they're all about equity how about equity of questioning of of Joe Biden at press conferences you took all of the Democrat friendly outlets now let's take some of the Republican outlets and make sure that there is an equi- equitable distribution of question and answer time for Joe Biden that's a brilliant statement it's a great way to end this broadcast and this week thanks so much have a safe weekend stay free see you Monday